you for tuning to the Voice of Hope. And uh, today we will have uh, the program entitled Dealing with the Sin Problem. And uh, we'll welcome Uncle Len again to this program. Hi, Len. Hi, Nick. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. Very good. We are very pleased to have you here today again. And um, I wish you God's blessings through this program. Thank you very much. Hello my radio friends, this is Len. I'm glad to be with you again. Thanks for tuning in. If this is the first time you've tuned into this particular radio segment, we have reached the sixth episode of a series of talks entitled Give Me the Bible, a message of hope and good news for you. Last program, we found the reason this world is in such a mess. It is all to do with evil coming into the world and where instead of goodness and love being the underlying principles for people's actions, greed and self-satisfaction have become the norm. But we are not so naive as to think there is nothing good left on earth. Of course there is, but when looked at as a whole, the earth is not a very happy place. Sin. Without sin, there would be no problem. But there is sin. Each one of us has committed sin and has been affected by sin. As you know, there are two certainties about life. Death and taxes. Death is a consequence of sin. What is the Bible's definition of sin? Near the end of the Bible is the first letter of John. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. There it gives a clear definition. Sin is the transgression, or breaking of the law. And just to reinforce that some more, it says in Romans chapter 4 and verse 15, where there is no law, there is no, no transgression. That means if there's no law, there's no sin. Okay, you might say, what law could this be? The Bible's answer God's law of love. Can you be more specific, you are probably thinking? Well, Jesus addressed this issue when asked by a lawyer who questioned which is the greatest commandment. Jesus replied, love God, and then adds, love your neighbour. Now this can be a whole study by itself. But paraphrased, it means that God's law of love is to love God and to love others. 
I need to point out that love does not mean all that kissy-wissy stuff, but rather means to do good to and to have respect for. That's a bit better, but is there any sort of list which is more specific than these two generalised things? Yes, you find a complete list in the Bible's second book, Exodus, chapter 20, and reiterated in Deuteronomy, chapter 5. It is called the Decalogue, and is probably better known as the Ten Commandments or the Moral Law, as it deals with morals. These commandments are very specific as to what sin is and how an individual may sin against God or fellow human beings. What many do not realise is that this list of rules not only protects the rights of others, but is there to protect our own rights as well. In short, it is a guide for happy living. Now, there are people who say that these commandments were made for the Jews only. Others say they were discarded and abolished, yet feel extremely offended when somebody else does something that hurts them. For example, if a thief breaks into their house and steals some of their stuff, they should, if they're honest about it, not be upset at all. If the commandment about stealing does not apply anymore, why should they care if somebody steals from them? There are some people in the Christian community today who exhibit, who exhibit hypocritical double standards regarding God's holy law. On one hand, they desire to be protected by the principles of the law, yet on the other hand, say that the law has been abolished and no longer exists. The old saying, you cannot have your cake and eat it too, applies to them. Those who take the time to read their Bibles carefully, especially the book of Romans, can see that God's law of love, as expressed in the Ten Commandments, still applies and is still the rule of life for mankind. The legal and moral principles of most governments and people groups around the world operate from the same set of principles as outlined in the Ten Commandments. Anyhow, let's see if we can summarise the situation thus far. 1. Evil came to this world because of Satan. 2. Satan, the enemy, seduced mankind into accepting his corrupt ways. 3. Sin became established in the world and death came as a consequence of sin. Each person, you, dear listener, and I, have sinned and forfeited the right to eternal life. And five, there came a separation between God and mankind because of sin.
6. Having sinned even only once, we do not have the ability to reverse the situation. I'll repeat that. Having sinned even only once, we do not have the ability to reverse the situation. And lastly, without outside intervention, we have no possibility or any hope of escaping the mess we are in. One of the, uh, one of the major Bible writers, the Apostle Paul, says it this way in Romans 7, verses 24 and 25. What a wretched man I am! Who shall deliver me from this body of death? And then he provides the answer that has been the hope of Christians through the ages. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ah, there, there it is. There is the solution to the sin and death problem. The problem can only be solved through intervention by God. He who gave the law and he who gave life. As you travel around, you will see churches with a cross. That cross is a symbol of the person and of the event, the answer to the sin problem. It is about Jesus Christ who came down from heaven, lived a sinless life as a human being, and then took the consequences of sin in our place that we might be freed from those consequences. Put simply, he gave his life that we may have life. I should also say here, that Jesus did not remain dead. He was resurrected and came to life again and after a time went back to heaven. Now, I know that many people are quite sceptical about Jesus. But you know, there are really only three possibilities about him. Firstly, that he was a liar. Secondly, that he was mad, or thirdly, what he claimed was true. If he was a liar, or if he was mad, you have nothing to worry about. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, as the old saying goes. But if what the Bible teaches about him is true, then you would be completely foolish to ignore it. Then there is this question. Is there anyone else who could qualify to be a substitute for sinners? That individual would have to live a sinless life, be someone of a higher state of being than normal sinful man, be the lawgiver who is naturally greater than the law, 
be someone who would be willing to take the same consequences, that is death, as lawbreakers must take, and finally, be someone who is the life giver. This is Giving Me the Bible program with Uncle Len. Stay with us, we are going for a short break and we'll be back soon.
Savior and Lord Just are your ways You've forgiven me My life is yours just before the break I was saying this to you is there anyone else who could qualify to be a substitute for sinners and I mentioned to you that that person would have to firstly live a sinless life would have to be someone of a higher state of being than normal sinful man would have to be the law giver who is greater than the law, would have to be someone who would be willing to take the same consequences, that is death, as lawbreakers must take, and finally be someone who is the life giver. Let's see if there's anyone suitable. First, perhaps, the Pope. No, he does not qualify as he is a mere man with a high church position. He too is under the law. And you might have noticed that popes die. What about the President of the United States of America? Again, he is a mere man and has also sinned. And you'll notice too that presidents die. What about Buddha? Sorry, though he might have been a good man, he too sinned and came under the same sentence as any of us do. And you'll notice Buddha died. Even if there was a very morally good person who would attempt to take on the role as a substitute that person would not have the keys of life and could not give eternal life. Their substitution would be of no effect, a complete waste of time. The book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 12, provides a clear answer about who qualifies to substitute for sin sinful human beings. It says... There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. 
What is that name? The verse refers back to a previous sentence, Jesus Christ. But you might think, can't I do a lot of good things and score a lot of brownie points? Then they'll have to let me into heaven because of all my good works. Sorry, the Bible teaches that salvation is a gift, not a wage. Romans 6 verse 23 says it clearly. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Put another way, it means we earn what we get, death, that is, as a result of our sins. But God has given us a way out and gives us life. We cannot buy, earn or work our way into heaven. It is only by the acceptance of the gift God offers to many people, this seems too good to be true. It is good, and I want to tell you, it is true. Haven't we already seen that the Bible is truthful and reliable? You know, dear listeners, there is no other way out of this mess. But I need to mention that if someone accepts the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus but goes on sinning as before with no intention of ever changing the situation, they are in danger. It is a little like when perhaps someone goes to court for committing a crime. We'll give him a name, Clive and Clive is sentenced to life imprisonment. At the point of sentencing, someone from the visitor's gallery stands up and offers to serve the sentence in Clive's place. The court accepts the substitution and Clive goes out a free man. Straight away, Clive commits another crime as the substitution meant nothing to him. How would the court treat Clive in this situation? Accepting God's grace and doing nothing about it is known as cheap grace. Finally for today, I want to tell you about an important choice you can make. First, a little history. In the 17th century in France... There lived a philosopher and mathematician known as Blaise Pascal. I remember learning about Pascal's principle to do with pressure in fluids from my high school days. The power of hydraulics is based on Pascal's principle. Pascal proposed an idea relevant to what we are discussing today. It is called Pascal's Wager and was published in the book Pensers, which means thoughts, in 1670.
A wager, as you probably know, is a kind of bet. Pascal proposed this. A. There is God. Or B. There is no God. If there is no God, then there is nothing to lose. You are born. You live. You die. End of story. But if there is God, and since that same God promises eternal life, then it's a different scenario. If you choose to accept his sacrifice provided for you, then there is everything to gain. But also, there is everything to lose if you say no to him. So what about you? It is all up to whatever you choose. As for me, I choose life. I have chosen to accept the gift God has offered. And if I remain in a relationship with him and continue to choose to serve him, then I can expect to receive what he has promised. So listeners, I hope you consider seriously what we have dealt with today. Furthermore, I hope you will make good choices and find for yourself the peace and happiness there is in honouring God who loves you so much. In our next program, I want to share with you the good news about Jesus Christ about who he is and about God's plan to give you eternal life. But that has to wait until next week. Be listening, won't you? In the meantime, I wish you peace, happiness and hope and God's richest blessings. Thank you for being with us today. Until next time, God bless you.